business, leadership, high performance, the journey. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. My guest in studio today is definitely not your typical college dropout. Um, over the years, uh, he's been involved with starting four different companies, uh, one merger and three acquisitions. Uh, being involved in the technology and MSP space in particular has definitely taught him a lot over the years. And I'm excited today uh, to really dive into his story uh, through all the experiences that he's had because he has definitely had some unique ones. And uh, excited also just to talk through uh, with him about starting businesses and the bumps and bruises and learnings along the way, uh, as well as the importance of pivoting uh, when the time calls within business as well, uh, personally and professionally, actually. So my guest today is the CEO of True IT, which is based in the Fargo-Moorhead area right here. And uh, like I said, in studio, Zach Paulson. Welcome, man. Thanks, Patrick. Good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Share my story. So. Yeah, and I know Zach is overcoming a little bit of sickness. So if he uh, if he goes down for the count here uh, with some voice issues, we're going to have to take a little break, but we should be good. <laughs> so, well, Zach, like I said, uh, as we were just talking here before I started, I know I was excited to... Talk about your story, you know, and as you know, this, the podcast is really centered and centered around just people's journey. And I remember the first time I ever met you when we sat down for coffee and stuff, I was really intrigued by just your journey and the starting of some of your businesses. And I mean, dropping out of college and now where, where you're at now um, was super, super interesting. So excited to dive into all that today with you. Cool. Thank you. I'm excited to share. Cool. So let's start out, Zach. Uh, bring us back to the beginning of your journey. So grew up in Western North Dakota, right? Yes, I did. I grew up in Western North Dakota in Dickinson. Um, my parents were both teachers. And at one point in, in my dad's kind of career change, it brought us to Dickinson, North Dakota. And so here I was in a foreign land. Uh, I, I actually was born on the eastern side of the state, but I consider growing up on, on the western side of the state in Dickinson and really the formative years. Um, out there, I got exposure to, of course, my parents both being teachers, I got exposure, of course, to the education system, but I got exposure to working in a pharmacy. And so I thought I wanted to be a pharmacist uh, at age age 17, 18. And so I worked in a pharmacy for four years and really enjoyed it. Uh, thought I was going to be an architect originally, changed my major to pharmacy because of the, the time at the, the pharmacy, and uh, ended up uh, going to college one year in Dickinson and then one year in at NDSU only to drop out at age 20 and uh, start over in life. So. <laughs> so what what initially made you drop out? Was it just lack of interest in classes? Was it something else you saw or? Yeah, great question. So what I thought I wanted, well, one, uh, at that point in time, pharmacists were in high demand. So they were offering Mercedes as sign-on bonuses and $100,000 salaries. So I was chasing after that originally. That was, that <laughs> was a motivating That was a motivating factor. But uh, but I remember sitting in one of my labs for pharmacy school, and I'd failed several classes, and I was a 4.0 student in high school, so failure was not an option, and here I'm actually failing. Turns out in college, you have to read books and you have to study. Didn't know how to do that. Didn't have to do that in high school. You know, I was one of those annoying kids that showed up, and uh, it was like, oh, we have a test today? Okay. And then I just got an A on it because I listened in class. Yep. You can't do that in college. That doesn't matter. I, I was the exact same way. Like, <laughs> like I mean... High school was like ridiculously easy for me, and then I got to college and was introdu- introduced to uh, like calculus and yes. things like that. And I'm like, oh my god, you got to actually like really, you got to actually like really study and put time yeah. in. You can't just walk in, look through your notes for three minutes, and exactly through something. And I, I actually blame Calc two for the reason I dropped out of college. So it's actually uh, <laughs> Calc two did not do well for me. And then organic chemistry was the oh, nail in the coffin, yep. and that was over with. But I remember sitting in a lab, and I remember looking around at the other fellow students in the lab, and very nice people, incredibly smart, but I realized I was the odd personality out. Everybody else was the exact typical personality you would imagine for a pharmacist, and then there was me. And I remember looking around going, this is not what I want to be when I grow up. But I didn't have any other options, so I was working at Best Buy at the time. I was working full-time, loved, uh, loved what I was doing. Um, worked in the audio department, video department. Ironically, every department except computers I worked at at Best Buy. And <laughs> just absolutely loved the the smile on customers' faces when they would leave with their new toy and they would be on their way home with whatever they just purchased, the excitement they had. And I loved bringing that excitement out in people. Well, um, 
what I didn't know at the time and what I now know today is that that was actually what I loved. I loved business. I loved creating solutions for people. I loved those type of things. That's easy to see now. At the time, I had no idea. With my parents both being teachers, the careers on my path were going to be architect, pharmacist, doctor. You know, there was no business degree in their vocabulary. I never even knew a business degree existed. Wish I would have. Maybe would have made it through college. Did you ever consider teaching? With your, with, uh, I mean, with the influence in your family like that? You know, ironically, I didn't. It never crossed my mind. And I honestly, to this day, I don't really look at myself as a teacher either. I don't I do not do well bringing people from the fundamentals to the, the end, if you will. So I've mm-hmm. never been a great, I, I feel, I've never been a great teacher. Yep. Um, so it never crossed my mind to be a teacher. Interesting. No. Okay. But yeah, so then, uh, so then from Best Buy, I dropped out of college, started working at Best Buy full time. Uh, again, moved around all kinds of different departments. And, and found myself like, you know, you don't have to have a degree to uh, to run a store at Best Buy. You don't have to have really any formal education at all to do whatever you want at Best Buy. So uh, I wonder if I could just end up being a store manager someday and started looking into that option. And certainly that was available before me. And I started talking to the, the managers about what that would look like. And they started kind of putting me on that path. And everything seemed to be going well. I was actually the supervisor of the car audio department, which was my dream because I was an absolute car audio nerd when I was younger. I was the guy that had the $2,000 car with the $4,000 stereo. In it. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. It was, As you're driving down the road just thumping? Everywhere I went. I, I, and it was, it was what could be louder, um, clearer, and, and how could I make it more artistic you know, along the way, too. So. Uh, I think that, like hydraulics. On your I did not go into the hydraulics, <laughs> but I did a lot of fiberglass work. Actually, that was that That's was funny. something I loved to do, but make, make fiberglass enclosures and stuff. Um, so all self-taught in that area and had a ton of fun. Well, I had my what seemed like my dream job at the time. And then September 11th, 2001 hit and first real recession I'd ever lived through in my life. And it was real. The, the economy tanked and Best Buy had to make tough decisions of cutting people to keep the stock market from totally destroying their, their stock. And uh, I was one that was was about to get cut. So there was actually at the time there was a car audio supervisor and there was a car stereo installation supervisor. And the car installation supervisor, I know him well. He's a good friend. I ran into him a couple times since. But he had 10 years of experience installing remote starts and car stereos. And I had the job for about three months. And so who was going to stay? Mm-hmm. So when they cut, they cut me from the, the position and they consolidated the department. And they cut many other people throughout the organization. And so I found myself about to be married in a few months, um, thinking I was going to make a career in, in, uh, in retail, and now realizing I don't have that degree to fall back on. I don't have any other career options. What am I going to do? Uh, so I answered an ad in a paper to be a door-to-door insurance salesperson for yes. Combined Insurance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so th- for those of you that have never heard of Combined Insurance, it's essentially AFLAC, except it's door-to-door to farmers. So you're out in oh. rural communities. <laughs> and it's it's generally the last insurance product you buy, and it's usually the first insurance product you cancel. So that's exactly what I was selling. Oh, man. They were good policies. Um, I would I would believe in them, but at the same time, I, I couldn't afford them myself, but I was selling them to other people. I learned a lot uh, during that time. What was interesting, and now I look back and that path was, was neat as well, uh, I was reading books like Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. I was reading W. Clement Stone, uh, Positive Mental Attitude, uh, Earl Nightingale, uh, the, uh, the Secret to Success or whatever. I was reading a lot of those books. That was part of the curriculum for Combined, and I'm thankful for that. Wow. The unfortunate part is I wasn't making a dime. I was living off of less than $1,000 a month. I was traveling about 1,000 miles a week. Fortunately, gas was still about 99 cents a gallon. And uh, I was newly married, so I was trying to strike out um, as being a family man now, being married to my wife. And so it taught us a lot. It taught us how to live on nothing. It taught us how to to be creative with our finances and, and to budget. But it certainly did not make us enough money to survive. So about a year later... Um, I walked into uh, a BNI meeting, a Business Networking International meeting, and I wasn't really supposed to be there because Combined is not advertised. They don't they don't have advertisements, so you're not even supposed to go to a network. Are they still around? They are still around. Yeah, yeah. they're like a hundred and some year old company, but I, huh. I uh, haven't paid much attention to them since I left. <laughs> that is in the rearview mirror. <laughs> um, but uh, but I went to the business networking meeting. 
And after the meeting, a, a lady caught up to me and she said, hey, are you, you know, are you interested in other career options? Well, I didn't want to act too enthusiastic, but I said, yes, I am. That's a matter <laughs> of fact. Well, it turned out I couldn't sell real uh, – well, I wouldn't say real insurance because combined is real insurance. But I couldn't sell typical property and casualty insurance because the company that she worked for um, would have required me to get my um, – my investment stuff, whatever that oh, whatever yep. that licensure is. And my credit rating was so poor at the time because we weren't making any money, I wouldn't have qualified for it. So she's like, yep. she said, I'd love to hire you, but I can't because you have to do the investment stuff and your credit rating won't allow you to get your licenses. So you're not a long-term employee for me. And I was, I, my hopes were dashed. I was like, oh, I'm stuck for this another year. And, uh, and then she goes, but I have these two guys that have a computer company that are looking for a sales guy. Do you think you'd be interested? I said, sure. At this point in time, I was interested yeah. for anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's how I got introduced to my two business partners uh, that I have today and uh, and met them. And that's where I got my career in technology. So, Wow. Yeah. You know, it's it's crazy as I, you know, because I've interviewed lots of people on the show. And, I mean, just connecting with business leaders and stuff all the time of, you know, you, your story is is wild. But it's so common to something <laughs> like this, you know, because I just think it's experiences like this that truly, truly mold people into uh, not not necessarily maybe where they want to go or who they want to be, but who they don't want to be and where they don't want to end up yes. almost. I think that's sometimes just as important as what you want to be. You know, yeah. I could have been the kid that knew he was going to be an astronaut and then spent 20 years becoming the astronaut and working for NASA. Um, but I, you, it's also important to know what you don't like. And if you don't try things, how are you going to know what you like and what you mm-hmm. don't like? And I credit a lot. Looking back now to that days in the pharmacy, I find I figured out what I liked was I liked the retail aspect of it. I loved the solution building. I loved putting together kind of artistic ways of presenting things. Well, none of that was pharmacy, but I my brain logically followed the pharmacy path because I worked at a pharmacy. Yep. Nowadays, I, 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 I'm a little more open-minded to looking into, well, what causes somebody to like that? Is it the actual degree or the actual name of the business, or is it elements that could be found in other places? You know, I love that you bring that up because I'm always intrigued by that too, Zach. And I was actually thinking about this a few months ago for an extended amount of time because I'd been talking about my story with a lot of people and Mm -hmm. such. And I came to the conclusion of why do so many, especially young people, because I think young people still end up in the wrong career doing the wrong thing, and is it because of outside influences that are positively maybe pushing or pumping them up, like, oh, you'll be so great at this, and oh, 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 and oh, yeah, you you should do this, and people just aimlessly follow it without really thinking or without maybe coming to terms with themselves saying, well, I'm not sure if I really want to do that, actually. Yeah. You know? So I think a lot of people get, are... They, they get like this false confidence from the outside and they just follow it without yep. thinking. And it takes them down a path where eventually they're like, why did I even end up doing this? I think there's a lot to that. You know, I've, I've jokingly said my kids are going to have to talk me into going to college. And that might like put everybody back like, oh, how could you ever say such a yeah. thing? But coming from a, a family where they were educators, my, my parents, there just was no other option. I mm-hmm. will have a four-year degree. And they yeah. weren't doing that because they were mean or pushy. It was just that was their purview in life. Like yeah. when in their generation, a four-year degree was the key to success. But I think we're seeing now probably more than any time in history that with the gig economy and with the kind of side hustles people are running, a degree is good. Don't get me wrong. If you're going to work on my brain for brain surgery, I hope you have a degree. Somebody better have formally trained you. But <laughs> YouTube if training? Yeah, yeah, exactly. YouTube. I watched a couple of videos. should be fine. Um, but if, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to develop software or you're going to work in the tech space, a lot of the stuff we're working on has never been done before. Mm-hmm. So what training program are you going to have advanced enough to tell me what I need to do later on? And I feel this is my rant on, on higher education is I feel like early on there was a, there was a push on how to teach people how to think. And I feel mm-hmm. like we've maybe gotten away from that. We've maybe started to think for people. We need to get back to an education of training people how to think instead yep. of thinking for people. Um, I, I 100% agree. In fact, I tell, I tell a lot of business leaders that too. Like, 
especially when we talk onboarding new employees, things like that, because we're always talking about how do you get people to take more ownership and more accountability in their roles and stuff. And I said, mm -hmm. as long as you continue to think for people and you continue to make decisions for people, rather than just teaching them how to approach it, how to look at it and make them figure it out, and they're going to make some mistakes along the way, yep. until you make that shift, um, you're going to be overwhelmed and you're going to have a lot of people that aren't reaching the bar. <laughs> you really are. You really are. And it's it's hard too because especially when we know the answers and we've yes. been through the pain, it's it's hard to watch people make mistakes. But we do it with our children all day long. You know, we know our children are an 18-year commitment, right? Or at least now maybe 25 years nowadays. I don't know if that's extending. <laughs> Sucking uh, off the yeah. insurance till they're 26 exactly. or whatever. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, when we with our children, we let them fail all the time, or at least we mm -hmm. should be. We should be letting them experience life. Our, our employees aren't much different. We need to let them experience yep. it. Uh, and and you can tell somebody something all day long, but until it's their experience, it's really hard for them to internalize it. You know, uh, a coach that I had way back told me that exact line right there, and it was life-changing for really? me. He said, let others have their own experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, and as I've thought of how that applies to work, I've thought of how it applies to, you know, myself when I look back at growing up and things like that. Um, it's so profound. Yeah. You know, because like you said, until people have their own experience, they go through it, they feel it, they see it, they do it. You can talk till you're blue in the face, like they say. You can. You can. Oh. Yeah, it's interesting. That actually was one of the pieces at a one point in time in our business where we, we had really strong problems with one of our business partners who wasn't a managing business partner. He was, I don't want to say like a silent partner or side partner, but he, he was involved, but just usually from a board meeting perspective. And there were some times where we'd come back to the conversation and he'd say, I told you, you weren't supposed to do that. Or I told you, you shouldn't go down that road or whatever. And that was one of the eye-opening moments for me to go, oh yeah, interesting. You did tell me, but I had to experience it mm -hmm. before I believed it. And uh, I think it was very frustrating for him because <laughs> he was part of a family business. So he was used to, if you told somebody to do something, they just did it. Oh, yeah. We were a little more uh, rebellious, if you will. And we, we had yep. to, but we had to experience it for ourselves. We had to feel it. So. Yep. Cool. Mm -hmm. So bring me back to the first business then. So you met Wes and Oli. Yeah, Wes and right? Oli, who are yep. my business partners today, uh, which is alone is a feat. We're going on like yeah, no kidding. 16, 17 years now. Most marriages don't last that exactly, long. Exactly. <laughs> In fact, ironically, I have been, uh, they have been my work business partners for as long as I have been married. So celebrated yep. my 17 years in, of marriage and 17 years of business partnership Sweet. with them. So, um, but yeah, so they had a small uh, technology company, a fledgling technology company. It had been around for a few years, was about three or four people you know, maybe half a million dollars or less in revenue. And they were the, the typical tech entrepreneurs, right? They had a laptop. They were very technical, technically smart. So they said, we must be able to form a business. And I'm hyperbolizing this a bit. They, were, they had more business sense than this, and we tell this story and joke quite a bit. Yeah. But, but either way, they, they didn't have that sales acumen, that business acumen. And I didn't really know that I had business acumen, but I understood how the consumer thought. And even though our customers were businesses, I understood that at the end of the day, regardless of what they were buying, they were buying an outcome. You know, mm -hmm. it's been said many times, you don't buy a mattress, you buy a good night's sleep. Or you yeah. don't buy a, um, a landscaping company, you buy a green lawn. You know, that's what we're going for. Well, technology is exactly the same. You aren't buying a technology, you're buying the outcome the technology delivers. Yep. So when they hired me, little did they know I couldn't merge a cell and excel. I had no idea how to even put two <laughs> cells together. I could barely do the sum function in Excel. I was very, very uh, technology inept. Um, I wasn't even really a computer gamer. So I am like the most anti-tech nerd guy you'd, you'd ever met back then. But I was maniacal about getting them to help me understand what is it the customer's buying. And I couldn't ask in bits and bytes. Like how many gigabytes are they buying or how much yeah. RAM do they need? I, I said, if I sell them what you're telling me I should sell them, what do they get out of it? And it was kind of an interesting exercise for them because they didn't know how to explain it. They were like, well, they're getting this many gigabytes and this much RAM. Yeah, what does that mean? What does that yeah. mean? You know, so, so they eventually yep. taught me all the different concepts. And, and we took that company from, with, with me selling and their, their technical expertise, two of the smartest technical guys I've ever met in my life. 
we were able to bring that company in 2004 at you know three four hundred thousand dollars in sales to 2009 a million dollars in sales 13 employees and um, and our first time being profitable in all those years and so it was actually a pretty neat story about just really getting out there and selling what the business outcomes were for our customers and that that required a lot of banter back and forth between the two of us you know them harping on the technical and how important it was and me harping on the the outcomes and how important that was. But we found ourselves in 2009 at a point where the business had, had grown beyond where it had ever been for any of us. And we found ourselves wondering, you know, where do we go from here? And that really involves some soul searching for me because I, I poured my life into it. I, I, I always was an employee that was more of an owner than an employee in terms of the way I acted. I always acted like it was my business. But I felt like at that point in my life, it was time to take it to that step. So mm -hmm. I went to Ole and Wes and I said, hey, guys, I feel like we've taken it as far as I can go just from a sales perspective. Is there any chance I could have a piece of the pie? Is there a part? Could I potentially be a business owner? And they had, whether it was mercy on me or took pity, I'm not sure, or maybe they just didn't know how to negotiate out of it. Whatever <laughs> it was, they decided to give me a little bit of a slice of the pie of Ignis, and that's how I became a business owner in 2009. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love what you were talking about there, about just, because uh, as soon as you started speaking to that, I thought of the book, Sell the Feeling. Mm, you know, yes. of you're not yes. selling products, you're not selling a widget, you're not selling something you're putting in someone's hand, you're ultimately selling What's the feeling you want somebody to have? What's that sense of, you know, in technology, I think of, you know, you're selling a sense of security. You're mm -hmm. selling a sense of, uh, you know, different things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, you really were, you were selling what they could do with it. You know, back, at, if you walk back to 2009, that's when the iPad was created. So you start to think, seems like we've had the iPad forever. Mm -hmm. 2009 is when it was created. We were selling technologies previous to that. So a lot of the things we were selling was definitely the security, but it was more from a backup perspective. There yep. wasn't the hacks that we have today. There was the remote work. That was always fascinating. You know, we lived in Lakes Country, and I would pick up my laptop, and I would go home, and I would get my work done. Where, and then I'd go meet with business owners, and they'd be like, hey, I would really like to work at the lake. And I'd think, well, I can do that. I just work at my home. I don't have a lake place. Mm -hmm. So then I started selling the concept. Well, I can make it so wherever you are in the world, you can work. Yeah. Well, this was pre-2009, pre-iPad. This was pretty advanced stuff. And so it's really all I did is just sold them what we used every day. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Ignis was the first company yes. in 2009. So what's, where did that company end up? Where did it go? Was it merged into something? Did it fall apart? Yeah, so a couple things were happening all, all at once in 2009. I became a business owner in 2009. That was step one. Uh, step two was um, we, my brother and I had also started a company along the way because we had access to electronics distributors, and I was a car audio nut. So I found out, wow, we can get car audio stuff from the distributors. So I started buying car audio stuff not only for my personal um, hobby that I had, but also for my brother, and then he was working at Case New Holland during the time. And so he was working the night shift with a bunch of guys who had no real life but lots of money. So he started saying, hey, you want a cool stereo? We can get you a stereo. So my brother and I started to side hustle installing uh, stereos on uh, on the nights and weekends. Um, and that's where Audio Garage today was founded, is we founded that kind of while we were building Ignis Technologies. Um, and then uh, while Ignis was, was going along in 2009, that's when we were approached by another company about a potential merger. So we merged with another company that had a Grand Forks office and a small Fargo presence, and then we were a Fargo office, but we also did websites and kind of what we call e-business e at the time. And so it looked like a match made in heaven, right? We were going to come into this. We were going to get a Grand Forks office out of the deal. Um, they were going to get a stronger Fargo presence out of the deal. We were going to bring e-business to, uh, to the whole client base, so now all of a sudden all of their clients would have access to websites and, and e-commerce. And it seemed like this was perfect. I mean, on paper, it truly was a one plus one equals three. And then my optimism made it four, five, or six. I mean, yep. it was, it was going to be amazing. Uh, we were about a $1 million company. They were about a $2.5 million company. So clearly, by the end of the year, we should be five. No problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work that way. In July of 2010 is when we merged. And we found ourselves 15 months later. There were six total business partners, so only Wes and I and three others. We couldn't stand each other. The three of us couldn't stand the three of them. 
Um, it was definitely an us and them environment. Their cultures were totally different from mm, ours. Yep. With us being little and scrappy, we kind of had to do everything it took for every customer we had. And now that meant we sometimes slept in people's offices. That meant that sometimes we worked the nights and weekends we could have been with our families so that we could get the technology working. Yep. Not a long-term strategy, but definitely better for customer satisfaction than the way their culture worked. There was one time I remember that one of our techs was out with one of their techs, and they were at um, a local company and a very, very prominent, uh, highly uh, essential local prominent company. And uh, 459 rolled around, and they were working on the phone system at this company. And uh, our tech's working away, and the other tech starts packing up. And our tech <laughs> looks at him and goes, what are you doing? He goes, well, we're going home. It's 5 o'clock. I still got to drive back to Grand Forks. And uh, our tech goes, you can't leave. Their phone system doesn't work. And that was just their culture. Like wow. their culture was that that's just how it worked. And there was lots of other things that were incompatible. I just remember that being a defining feature. There were several technologies they used that were outdated and we had a better way of doing it, or at least we thought we did. Um, and, and they just wouldn't change. And, and we found ourselves in that 15 months going, this is not what we wanted to be when we grew up. So here we were. We took everything we worked for um, for the last – Ole and West had founded the company in 1999. So for 10 years, this company had been operating. We merged it into another company, and now all of a sudden we're figuring out this isn't going to work at all. When, when you go back and look at it, Zach, mm -hmm. do you feel like you guys overlooked the values, culture fit pieces? You know, you just saw the technical aspect of things merging, mm -hmm. or, or what, what do you think was the biggest mistake when that – when that went down there there's several but the first one i would say is we fell in love with the concept mm -hmm. but we didn't vet the concept as to whether it would come to reality and we like to assume the good in each other right so yep. if if i'm in love with the concept of, of myself and somebody else going into business with each other um i'll neglect a lot of warts i'll, I'll neglect some yeah. glaring obvious for example uh their financials had been in a downward decline for over three years we were in the exact opposite. First profitable year and exceeded a million dollars. And then the prior year was a lot less than that. So we were in the exact opposite trajectory. They were in a downward trajectory. We neglected it and we figured we'll fix them. It's kind of yeah. like getting married and saying, I'll change her. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> She'll stop spending money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or vice versa. Or, or his, his terrible uncleanliness habits will just go yeah. away once he has me. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. So, yeah, the, the, challenge, um, the challenge there is we neglected to look at the realities of the way the businesses were. And then the other part was is one thing that was fascinating is we, inter we, we, we had lots of meetings prior to the breakup. But one of the meetings we had was with one of the partners who we are all particularly having a lot of problems with. And we asked the partner, we said, you know, when you went into this, he was about a 3% owner in the company. And I was only two at the time. So, I mean, both of us were very minority and when we went into this, um, we said, well, how much percentage did you think you would eventually own in the company? And he said 85%. Well, if he's 3% today and he thinks he's going to own 85% in a short period of time, there's some massive expectation problems. Oh, so now yeah. you wonder why he was so frustrated with the whole process and why he was so, in our minds, he felt belligerent and kind of almost pushing against everything. Well, we'd kind of ruined his chances for ever owning more of the company yeah. by merging in. So looking back at those things, we didn't do a very good job of understanding each other's goals and where we were going. And ironically, so he was the youngest of the partners who wanted to eventually own a lot. And then there were two other partners who were likely going to retire out in five years. So none of this made sense, and we didn't yeah. bet any of that stuff out. Oof. Yeah. So what what eventually came to be of that company? Did you guys <laughs> sell out of it? or <laughs> he oh, that, That's a fun story. <laughs> So what it, I'll never forget this day either. Um, so what ended up coming out of it is we sat down and we had a reasonable meeting where we decided that since we did websites and e-business stuff and they did IT stuff, uh, we would let them keep all the IT and then we would take all the e-business and it'd be a clean break. The, the uh, Ole West and Zach group would go take all the programming and e-business stuff and the, the other group would take all the IT and we'd be happy, we'd be fine, and we'd, we'd separate ways. Well, we, that's what was supposed to get announced. We sit down at the company meeting. Everybody's either remotely on video in Grand Forks or local in Fargo. And the two owners from that side that were kind of the primary um, CEO president said, um, well, I just have an announcement to make today, and that is that Ole West and Zach have decided to leave and compete against us. And that's how they left it. And 
I tell you what, we must, uh, our jaws must not have been peeled off the table by the time we, we got a chance to speak. We, we look at each other and we couldn't say anything because we're all on video and we're all around all the other employees. So we couldn't say that wasn't at all what we talked about. So the employees had a few questions. They said, well, Oli and Wes and Zach have a lot of like knowledge around certain things. Will they stay around for questions? Will we be able to reach them? We didn't have any real good words to say. So we just said, sure, you know, our cell phone numbers, you can reach out. And meanwhile, we're thinking, what in the world just happened? So we had a meeting with one of our good friends who's helped us along the way many times, Joel Fremstead from Fremstead Law. We ran yep. over there and we said, Joel, what do we do? And as Joel was kind of working on a plan, I don't know if they thought about what they said or if their attorney talked some sense into them, but we had a buy-sell agreement and they were not going to be able to get away with what they were doing. Um, so we reached out or we, we got some ideas from Joel. We're driving back. We're hoping to set up a second meeting, and all of a sudden, Wes's cell phone rings, and the other owner is on the line. He says, why don't you come back? We talked about it. We think we might have a plan. <laughs> oh, good. So we get wow. back there, and the plan wasn't much better, but at least gave us uh, one key component, and that was that they decided, of course, we're going to split up. We're not going to let this work. The agreement was we're going to keep all the clients. They were. They're going to keep all the clients. They're going to keep the business name. They're going to keep all the money. They're going to keep all the accounts. But... We'll let you guys go and go um, go away, and you can compete. You can you can be in the same business. We'll we'll get rid of the non compete. And I don't know if we were just bad negotiators or if we were just so excited that we could go out and compete that uh, that either way we just took the deal. Yeah. Um, we had to convince two of our programmers to follow us. So that story kind of went like, Hey, by the way, we're leaving. We have no company name, no money. No accounts. Would you guys come work for us? And two of them came along with <laughs> Jerry us. Jerry Maguire. Yeah, man. it really was. It really was. <laughs> but the two the two programmers came with us. Uh, immediately, I hopped on the horn, reached out to some of the former clients we'd either lost or were in the process of losing, told them what was going on, uh, said, if you guys would like, you can follow us. We'd be happy to help you out. And we went to work on starting an IT company with no technical people and uh, no name, no money. And so... That's where my friends from B&G came in. Uh, we'd, along the way, we'd also formed a small business called Connect Booster, which was a, uh, just a simple way to take payments as an IT company on a recurring basis. We created that towards the tail end of 2009, just prior to the merger. And uh, that was a funny story, too, because I went to – we'd created it for ourselves, our own use, but we needed a credit card processor. And we tried a different one in town first, and it was really, really complicated, and we couldn't get it working. And then somebody in town told me, hey, have you heard about this, this new company called B&G? They haven't been around real long. They're just getting started, but they're making waves in the community. Uh, maybe you want to talk to them. And so it'd been on my mind to reach out to Brady anyway, but now that I needed credit card processing, I had even two reasons to reach out to Brady. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to Brady, said, hey, you got time to meet. We sat down. I explained the concept of the product we were creating. And Brady goes, that's really cool. We will definitely help you out on that. Be happy to provide the credit card processing. And we would like to create a product similar to that someday because we use a software called ConnectWise. And that ConnectWise software um, is what we'd like to connect to QuickBooks and take payments automatically for IT companies. And I, I must have smiled off my face. Like, my smile was so big. And I said, Brady, that's the software we've created this for. It's ConnectWise and QuickBooks. And, uh, and he said, well, then we just need to create a business together. So that's exactly how Connect Booster got started. Is yep. uh, We started that up with, uh, with Brady and, and Ryan and got that stuff going. Um, well, we ended up, we were working part-time on that business with Brady and Ryan, but then when this demerger came, came out from, from our previous company, we <laughs> that, reached, is that a business? I don't know if demerger, I like that, I like that one, the demerger. <laughs> yeah, it was a demerger. Um, <laughs> I, I, that one, Zach, I reached you know. out to, I reached out to Brady and I said, Hey man, uh, we're kind of in a pickle here. We, uh, we don't have a company anymore. We don't have any customers, although we're working on that part. And we've got two employees we need to pay. Is there anything you can do to help us out? And Brady said, well, yeah. Actually, in our office building, we have this whole wing of the offices that, that are open. Um, we don't pay for it, but I'm sure nobody will, like, freak out if you just squat there for a while. So that's exactly what we oh. did. <laughs> we, uh, you we, just moved, you we just moved in? And... We just, they helped us, too. They came oh, over, God. got all the furniture, <laughs> moved us out, uh, moved us out, moved us into this, this wing that was kind of off of the B&G offices over in the Pioneer Technology Park. Um, and we were there about a month before Vicky from, from Dakota Reet figured out we were there. Um, and then she, she promptly billed everybody, but, uh, but it was Funny. cool. She, she billed uh, B&G. And then B&G just kind of kept a running tally for us. They were very kind. They just kind of kept a running tally of the money that we spent. 
And we said, someday we'll make it up to you. Hopefully it's fairly soon. And that's when I went to work on finding us a long-term strategy, a long-term place to sit. Because at that point, True IT wasn't even in existence. There was no company. We were literally billing them using B&G's name uh, to bill our initial customers. Um, so then what happened is I approached one of our best customers. Um, it happened to be Mike Adams of, of NDGI, of North Dakota Grain Inspection. And we had built a really cool software for them, kind of rewrote an inspection software they had before, enhanced it, added a bunch of product pieces. And I, I reached out to him and I said, Mike, have you ever thought about owning a technology company? And uh, his perspective at the time is he'd tried a bunch of different technology companies in town. He, he found some areas that he felt could be enhanced or areas that were lacking. And he said, you know, I'd be very interested in checking that out. So Mike became the investor in True IT. And on January 1st, 2012, we launched True IT with just the, the five of us and, and got rolling. Wow. I think the squatting part uh, is probably my favorite part of the story. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you just moved into the building and, oh, we'll just figure it out. We won't tell anybody. Either. There was, yeah, we didn't do it maliciously, <laughs> but there were a lot of times where we asked forgiveness instead of permission oh, yeah. in those early days well, because, not always bad. you know, we just didn't have any other plans. So <laughs> I love it. Funny. So as you look back, I mean, man, as you look back through the whole journey previous to True IT, even up to now, I mean, mm-hmm. with True IT, what... What have been the biggest takeaways, I mean, learning experiences that, you know, that you would provide or that you could speak to or maybe even, you know, someone looking at someone that's in business, looking at starting their business? I mean, what advice would you mm-hmm. have? Yeah. You know, one of the things I would say is, is first of all, I'm a man of faith. So I believe that I personally believe God had a plan in my life. And I, I think I believe that even before... Um, before any business things ever got into into my life. But I just always kind of felt like there had to be a, a way to get through things. There had to be a tenacity that you could just push through. And then there also had to be kind of a, a, a chance and circumstance that you just kind of had to go with. And so my wife's mom used to always call it kind of a go-with-the-flow go philosophy. And I think that's one of the ways that we have to approach life, is we have to approach life with a faith that things will work out, but it does require our input. We have to have that dogged determination. Um, if we don't wake up ready to put in our energy, no other outside force is going to put any extra energy that's going to get yep. us over the finish line. You know, if you don't wake up in the morning and you don't get out of bed, um, it doesn't matter how much faith you have, doesn't matter yeah. what t- sort of uh, coach you have yelling at you, any of that, you're not going to get anywhere. So it, we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to the people around us to get up and put that dogged determination in. And then I'd say be flexible. There's a statement a pastor said one time that I absolutely live by is blessed are the flexible for they do not get bent out of shape. And <laughs> I think we have to live with that. You know, there has to be moments in life where things are, I can guarantee you that things won't go according to plan. And when they don't go according to plan, we have to be willing to say, what is this telling me? What is this outside stimulus telling me that I have to react to. Yep. Um, and it's how we respond is what's going to make the outcome. So yeah, I came to that realization a couple of years ago, big time when I read the book Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Yeah. About just any negative or, you know, what you see as negative or what is, you know, maybe comes off as negative or a bad experience or whatever. You know, there are so many silver linings to be found in those things without you ever realizing it. Mm-hmm. And it's all about just adapting. Yep. Be ready to adapt. Be ready to pivot. But I love also what you said at the beginning or at the first part there about just it, it does take a lot of faith, man. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I know I know you're a very strong person of faith, Zach, which I highly, highly respect. And uh yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of days that aren't going to be easy, right. but like you said, you have to get up. You got to put in the energy, and if you just refuse to quit, yeah, you know, exactly, refuse to quit, and, and it's amazing how lucky one can appear to be. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> true. Uh, I think it was Jim Collins that said, "We all have luck, but it's the return on luck that we get is what matters." And it's true. We all have good luck, and we all have bad luck. There are times that I can tell you we had luck, good luck that we didn't deserve. We didn't create. It just fell in our laps. But if we hadn't been ready to receive that and we hadn't been ready to react to that luck, it would have been wasted. And then on the flip side, we've all had bad luck. But it's how we respond to that bad luck that matters. I think about there's a verse in the Bible um, in James where he says, rejoice in your diverse temptations. Okay, I don't know about you, but there's not a lot of days where when I'm having going through obstacles or temptations or trials that I wake up and or it's trials and temptations, 
that I wake up and go, oh, thank you, Lord, yeah. for this for terrible thing. giving me an, yeah. another one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But on the flip side, it's not the mountaintops that we learn usually. It's mm-hmm. the valleys that we oh, learn. Oh, 100%. It's, you, you, when you're sitting on the mountaintop, you got nowhere else to climb. You're not exerting yourself anymore. You're simply just enjoying the view. But when you're in the valley and you've got to climb the mountain, that's where you learn. And, you know, looking back, and this goes back to uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. He said the same thing. He said on every every success is preceded by mm-hmm. a major challenge. So when going through a challenge, think through yourself like, man, I wonder what it's going to be like once I get through yeah. it. And that's really the truth. Oh, the mm-hmm. I, I always call it the roller coaster for businesses. I even draw it out. I mean, yeah. on board for businesses yeah. like if you know if you're go, if you're flying uphill, get ready because shit's gonna roll downhill here soon. <laughs> It is. Yes. I mean, it's just it's just the nature of the beast, you know. It whether it's true. whether it's the market, whether it's you have people leave, whether it's a financial turn. I mean, mm-hmm. when you are like you said on the mountaintop, just yep. be prepared and be smart because it will go downhill. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the exact opposite. Then also, when you're in that low spot, you just got to keep kicking ass and working hard, and yep. things will start to go back back up the other direction again as well. That's the truth. The worst part is when you're in the low spot and you don't feel like you've hit the bottom because then you know yeah. there's farther <laughs> to go. <laughs> That's the part I always hate. It's like, I don't think we're at the bottom, yeah. guys. I always had a buddy in college, no matter what happened, he'd always be like, you guys, it could be worse. <laughs> I'd be like, what are you talking about, man? Yeah. He's like, and then he'd just come up with some stupid dream scenario of, of how it could be worse. And it's like, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess, it, could, I guess be it could be worse. Yeah. If you really want to put it that way, we could be in. Yes, we could be dead. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's a lot to that, too, that a lot of times the challenges for you are different than the challenges for me. If we were to lay all of our problems, I've heard it said that if we laid all our problems on the table and everybody's problems were laying there, you'd probably reach in, pick up yours and take them back. You know, mm-hmm. if you had to take problems because we've all been dished what we can take and and what we're what we're given or what's dished out for us is is refining us in a way that that we need to be refined in. And so yep. that might sound a little metaphysical, but, but I believe it's true. So. Nope. One of my favorite words in uh, in the English language is forge, mm. you know, and I truly believe that about people. You know, you're not forged in easy times. Mm-mm. You aren't created, shaped, molded, however else you want to call it. Forging truly, it's a bitch of a process, man. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard. It's not easy. There's very, there's a lot of trials and tribulations. But yep. I am a believer in you will never get to be who you ultimately could be if you do not not only go through those things, but choose that route also. Yeah. Because so many people avoid that route in order to avoid the pain and the failure and the embarrassment and all those things. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like you said, the uh, you look at any successful person. They've gone through some really tough things before reaching that level of success, but usually they yeah. choose to also go through it because they know of what is on the other side yep. waiting. It's the truth. That's the truth. Thoreau said, take the road less traveled, and that wasn't because it looked like it was an easier path. So, Great. So True IT's gone through some big changes in yeah. the last uh, six months or year here. So yep. what's kind of on, on deck or what's the next big thing for True IT? Yeah, so True IT, you know, went on to be that early startup to now we're we're going on nearly a decade old. We've been around for a while now. And um, you know, we were blessed that after after the first three years we hit uh we hit positive uh cash flow and we cleared what I call the death line, which is where you finally, you know, go beyond the amount of investment capital. And then we went on to kind of just create a, a typical, you know, steady flow in business till about 2017 and we acquired Summit Group Software in 2018. And that's kind of the challenge that we're on today. Uh, when we acquired Summit Group Software, that was a really new um, business model for us. So we were very used to the technical, the managed service, managed IT. We never did software consulting. We never planned to do software consulting, but they were a client of ours and, and they came up for sale. The sale fell through in kind of a tragedy for them, but because we were working on their network, we knew about the sale falling through, and that's where I reached out and asked Eric if you know, it would be potential that we could buy Summit Group software. Well, I didn't know what I was getting into when I bought that. Uh, it was the best decision <laughs> I ever made, but one of the most challenging decisions we ever made. 
um, the best decision is it put us in a in a great spot for for a really cool product and a really neat offering and really to be the heart of digital transformation for companies. The the worst decision part or the big challenge, I guess, is the fact that those are two totally different business models. And this is part of my naivety, probably the naivety that goes back to the merger and demerger. When you don't look at all the variables, you know the benefit is you'll do something maybe without letting risks paralyze you. The bad part is, is the risks will catch up to you at some point yep. in time. And I would say when we when we acquired Summit, um, we didn't understand the differences between our cultures. Uh, again, culture, but not in the same way as it was with the early merger. It was more in a culture of we didn't understand the industry and the business. We didn't understand how different it was from what we had. So I we spent the last three years uh, really trying to wrangle all that together. And early on, we thought that it would be a great idea to put the companies together. So we rolled Summit into True IT. We spent the better part of three years trying to make Summit and True IT be one cohesive business, operating similarly, using the same processes. And we came out on the other end of it almost bankrupt. It almost killed us. We got the closest I feel we've ever been to business death um, three years after um, after purchasing Summit Group software. And now the story is old enough that I can tell kind of more of the details without being at risk. But uh, but it was kind of interesting. All of that was happening and COVID hit. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, oh, well, my goodness. Wicked combo. We're, we're going to die. Um, we took a lot of risks. We took ourselves out to a, a, a spot in cash flow and a, and a spot in um, in business capital where we were just at a point where we went all the way up to 68 employees at one point in time. It was just however we had to spend money to get through this, we mm-hmm. could do it. Um, and we found ourselves going, I don't know if this is going to work. But what was interesting is when COVID hit, two things happened. Um, one, we started to it started to force us to realize we had to make this thing work. We had to make it profitable. So we were able to go into some form of crisis mode with the leadership team we had and just say, okay, guys, this is our only chance. We have to make it work. It's kind of like you're out in the middle of the ocean. There's a hole in the boat, and you neglected it for a long time, and now all of a sudden we're really sinking, and we had to figure it out. And it worked. It was it was really cool. We put our heads together. Um, we strategized. We, we put all options on the table. We really allowed brainstorming to be a completely safe place. Um, but then at the same time, as, as all this is going on, we started having business partner problems. So only Wes and I were good, uh, but but our original business partner that had launched the company, I think we'd hit his change max. I think we'd, mm-hmm. we'd, we were too too much change, too much trouble, and now all of a sudden financial woes. Um, so we really started looking at what was going on. We really started figuring out how we were going to make this work. And one thing that became inevitable is we weren't compatible as business partners anymore. The managing business partners with Ole West and I, we were on the same page, but we weren't on the same page with our founding business partner. And so that's where I went back to Brady and Ryan, and I said, hey, guys, how you doing? You know, we tried to make this work together back in the day. We tried to make a, a B&G and True IT thing work, um, but we just none of us had any money and none of us had the ability to pull it off. Well, now things had changed for both companies. We were quite a ways along in our maturity. And so I approached Brady and Ryan, and I said, hey, guys, you you want to be part of an IT company? And they said, sure. So they worked out a deal with uh, with Mike and bought out his his equity and brought us into their family, into their fold. And at this about the same time that this was all happening, we started to discover that all of this work to put the companies together wasn't the right path anymore. But what was emerging as the right path was to actually separate the companies spin them out so that there was a separate consulting company just like the original one and a separate managed service company just like the original one, but with a twist. The idea that now the software consulting company had understood, been through the fire, and understood what a managed service provider goes through. And on the flip side, we've been through the the software consulting side and understand what they go through. But we realized that what we just did probably no other managed service company under the sun is going to pull off successfully. Because if it was as hard for us, who had many, many years of experience under our belt on both companies, some had been around since 2007 and True IT since 2012, how in the world are these other MSPs, the other 40,000 MSPs across the globe, going to pull this off? But they have to because they're getting pressure from Microsoft to sell the entire stack of products. The customers are demanding digital transformation. And while SIT guys like to think we deliver digital transformation, we don't. We maintain digital transformation. Software really brings about digital transformation. So how do we bring this product to the market 
through a managed service channel. And that's what was kind of born out of all this. We ended up realizing that we have a huge market to bring our software consulting to the managed service providers as a friendly partner, not an, uh, not an uh, uh, adversary. Adversary, yes, thank you. <laughs> not as an adversary, but instead as a friendly partner. And it's been incredibly successful. So that's what we're working on right now. We're actually spinning out that company be, to be True North Dynamics. So that'll be the fifth company, I guess. And, yeah. and that, that company will now be fully focused on still delivering the same core product, still to the same end user, but doing it through a managed service provider channel so that managed service providers across the country can now offer that product to their customers. Awesome. Yeah. Well, as I, as I think back through your entire story, Zach, there's definitely a theme of adaptability, mm-hmm. flexibility, yep. and just pivoting. Yes. I mean, of seeing when things aren't working or uh, maybe you're placed in a tough situation or maybe you can see it coming down the road but not being afraid to make the change when it, when that time comes. Yep. There's only one constant and that's change in my mind. <laughs> that is, that is so, so true. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on here, Zach. Um, fantastic story for man. Anybody just, oof, whether you're looking to start a business or in business, have years of experience in business. Um, great message of just don't be afraid change. Uh, I think also the other thing I really picked up on was any type of merger, acquisition, anything like that, man, the importance of just vetting everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I know as an EOS implementer, I mean, the number one thing we always work with companies through, if you're looking to acquire, be acquired, anything like that is values fit. Yes. Is the values fit there? And is it really, really strong? Because if it's not, don't even bother going any further with anything else. Don't look at products, services, offerings. It's not going to matter nope. if there's not a, a, a culture and values fit between you. That's the truth. In hindsight, looking back at it, if I were to do it again, which I probably will at some point in time, I would do more scenario testing. You know, I think when you're negotiating to buy a company or merge a company or those type of things, Everybody focuses on the positive. And, and you don't want to spend the whole time focusing on the negative. When you write the contract, you focus on the super negative, right? But do some scenario testing. Like, I would really like to do X, Y, Z once we're together and see how the other party responds to it. Mm-hmm. If they're tepid to it and that's part of your main vision, there's your answer. But yep. on the flip side, if they're like, yeah, I've been wanting to do that too, but I can't find somebody to go along with me or I can't find the, the resources to do it, now you might be a fit. But yep. if they're tepid and, and you can't even just tell a story about the future, you're going to have a problem because it's just a story at that point. Pretty soon it's going to yeah. be reality. So. Yeah, no, that's a great point. You definitely have to be in parallel as to where you both want to go and how, you, and how you both want to get there mm-hmm. on top of it. So, yep. Cool. Well, Zach, where, uh, where can our listeners find you and follow you? Uh, so I'm not a social media guy, even though it's kind of funny, even though I'm a tech guy. I've never been on Facebook, never been on Twitter. can spell Instagram. It's about as far as I can get. Um, but you can find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, LinkedIn slash in slash Zach Paulson, Um And then you can always find me at TrueIT.com. And then soon, well, and actually right now, True North Dynamics. Awesome. Well, Zach, I appreciate you coming on here, man, and sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for from it. So, okay, uh, we will also drop those links just like always in the show notes for trueit.com, truenorthdynamics.com, uh, as well as Zach's contact information. So uh, with that, everybody, thanks for listening today uh, to the episode. And don't forget to follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, be sure to subscribe to, rate the podcast, and uh, share the episode with somebody um, in business that needs to hear that message. So until next time, I want to remind everybody to own you and the journey.